Uh, my name is Derek McCollum. I am the pastor here. If, you, uh, if you're new and I haven't met you, I really look forward to meeting you. Um, we, would, we welcome you. We're happy to be together today. You've also joined us in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, kind of toward the back of the Bible, uh, a, a sermon written in letter form to a young church, probably in Rome, that is really being tempted to go back to the Judaism that they knew before to go back to something that's a little less dangerous, particularly since Nero, the emperor of Rome at the time, was giving open season on persecution for Christians. It's a fabulous book of the Bible. It's rich and deep and thick, and we're not going to get to all of the depth of it even this summer. We do have some study guides in the back if you want. I really would encourage you to dig in daily over the course of the summer. I think that you will find it to be very fruitful. We're going to ask a few big questions, though, this morning of God's Word. In fact, one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible is not afraid of big questions. God actually invites us to bring our biggest, deepest, scariest questions before Him. He can handle them. So if you've got a Bible with you, will you open it up to the book of Hebrews, or you can also follow along in your bulletin. I'll be reading just a few verses from the end of chapter 4 starting in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we do thank you for your word. That's not just something that we say because it sounds nice to say. It's not something that we just say because it's traditional. It's something that we say because your word is meaningful. Your word is powerful. It is sharp and dangerous, and it is healing. We want both of those things today. Lord, will you expose us with your word, and will you heal us with your gospel, that we might know the depth of your grace and mercy more deeply today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, questions, I think it's probably fair to say, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the questions that we ask and the answers that we give ourselves for those questions really drive our motivations, our thoughts, our actions, all that we do. Last Saturday night, as I was uh, getting ready to kind of tuck myself into bed, I like to get to bed early on a Saturday night because Sunday morning's a big morning, and as I was about to go to bed, uh, I was just going to check on where Hampton, my son, was coming home from work. And we have this app on our phone that's like the best controlling dad app of all time that lets everybody in the family know where everybody is all of the time. And I just kind of pulled open this app just to see, okay, I think Hampton's probably left work right about now. He should be getting home soon. Just want to make sure he's safe and on his way before I go to bed. And as I pulled up this app, the icon for Hampton was in shirts halfway to San Antonio. Now, there's a question that starts to run through your head, you know, when you're a father uh, when you pull up and it looks like your son has driven to San Antonio at 10.30 in the night without calling you, and the question is, what is this kid thinking? 
He's driving to San Antonio at 10.30 at night. What's going on? Well, of course, the more that I then look and kind of zoom in to this little app and see where he is, I also realize that it's, it's right here close to uh, a brand new movie theater on I-35. And so my second thought is, okay, maybe he decided to go to the movies with some friends after work, and he piled in with them, and they're at the movies, and he's turned his phone off because, of course, by this time, I've tried to call multiple times, sent multiple texts, where are you, where are you, right? So then the other question comes up, what in the world is this kid thinking that he's going to go to the movies without telling me? And then the more I call, the more I text, and the less of an answer I get, that other question that's kind of been bubbling up the whole time and I've tried to keep down in the back of my mind is, what if something really terrible happened? Here's this icon I'm looking at of my son in the middle of I-35, far away from my home. What if he's gotten into a terrible wreck? What if he's been taken? What if something terrible has happened? So I got in the car and I drove to this movie theater. And after 30 minutes of up and down in the movie theater uh, uh, parking lot aisles, I couldn't find his car and I started to panic a little bit. That really big question started to just ring in my ears. Now he's sitting right over there, so you know everything's okay. <laughs> On my way back, actually, he called Joy and said, hey, my phone got stolen taken away from work, and evidently whoever stole it had driven himself to San Antonio and, I don't know, thrown the phone out the window in shirts or pulled the SIM card or whatever it was. But those questions are big, right? They matter. They drive our actions. They drive our attitudes very often. The questions that we ask and the answers that we give them are big drivers in our motivations. You know, when you are thinking, we just moved to town, I don't really know anybody. I've kind of showed up at this party, but I don't know anybody at the party except the host. What's the real question that's underneath? Am I going to be accepted? Are these people going to like me and accept me for who I am? Are these people actually going to, 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 to want to be around me? Or... Maybe the question is, am I ever going to be known? Especially, again, if you've maybe moved to town or if you have some new environment or uh, you just started befriending someone or dating someone, that question of, wow, what's it like to be known? What's it like to have somebody actually start to know who you are? And if you've grown up with maybe uh, a broken home or detached parents or uh, a repetitive um, kind of experience of emotional detachment or distance, there may be also that question in the back of your mind that you're always asking, which is, can I ever be close? Could I ever be close to someone else? Well, those are three major questions that we ask ourselves, that we answer ourselves all, all the time. They're questions that drive what we do. And again, one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that the Bible, the Lord, Jesus, is not afraid of our big questions. In fact, He calls us to come to Him with our big questions because we actually trust that He has the answer to them. We're going to look at those three questions in specific actually this morning, which is, uh, can I be known? Am I known? Will I be accepted? And can I be close? Am I known? Will I be accepted? Can I be close? 
These are the questions that I think the book of Hebrews here asks of us and in which God actually answers us with resoundingly good answers. So let me draw your attention back to God's word here and look at the way that this passage starts, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Will I be known? The Bible says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, just in case you didn't catch the double negative right there. That's what he means, is that Jesus, our high priest, can sympathize with us because he knows our experience. He shares it with us. Jesus, as we looked at even a few weeks ago, He's been made one like us, he calls us his brothers, and he shares our experience. And because he shares our experience, he is able to, the Bible says, sympathize with our weakness. Now that word sympathize is actually a little confusing, I think, for us. Because the Greek word that's translated sympathize actually probably is better translated empathize. Do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy really is the ability to kind of look on to someone else's life and to say, okay, I think I see and understand what you're going through, and I can actually feel for you in that experience. I heard something on on NPR not long ago about autism, and really up through the late 80s, uh, the, the public just didn't really know much about autism at all. It was just very, very, very much not in our kind of public consciousness or awareness. In fact, if you were a parent of an autistic child in the early 80s, uh, there's a good bit, a good bet that every time you went to the park, you would get some, some really nasty looks from the parents around you because they would look at your child and they would just think, well, that's some terrible parenting there, isn't it? And it really wasn't until 1988 when the movie Rain Man came out that the idea of what autism is kind of began to be proliferated throughout our culture. And people would see Rain Man and they would go, Oh, autism. And then they would see a parent with an autistic child and they would say, oh, wait a minute, he's autistic just like Rain Man. I understand now. I can feel for you because I see now what you're going through. That's sympathy. It's the ability to feel for someone else. But empathy is actually different. Empathy actually takes it a step or two, in fact, multiple steps deeper. Because what empathy, empathy says is not just do I, am, do I have the ability to feel for you, but actually I can feel with you. See, empathy is the ability to enter into another person's world, to be able to identify with that person and say what you are feeling, I am feeling. What you have experienced, I have experienced. What you are knowing right now, I also know. It's the ability to say, I know you at a deep level. There's a woman named Brene Brown, who maybe some of you have heard about. She's an author and a speaker. She has uh, a few fabulous and and well worth watching TED Talks that I would encourage you to go check out. She's a professor at the University of Houston, and she studies shame, vulnerability, and empathy. That's really the thing that she focuses on. And she uses this great illustration to talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Imagine that you are at the bottom of a deep well, a hole of sorts, 
Okay, this is, this is the hole of your shame. This is the hole of your guilt. This is the hole that the pain in your life has brought you to, and it feels very lonely. Well, sympathy is someone up at the top looking over and saying, hey, I see you. I'm sorry, but you know, it's going to be better. Everything's going to be okay. That's sympathy. And it's okay. Empathy's really different, though. See, empathy is actually somebody who climbs down the ladder to be down at the bottom of that hole with you and puts their arm around you and says, I know this feeling, and I know it with you. Sympathy is not just the ability to feel sorry for, but to feel sorry with, to experience pain with. Dr. Brown says the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. I know your experience. I feel it. I've experienced it too. It should be no wonder to us that uh, when a group of women worldwide have come together to share in their pain of abuse that they chose those two words to describe their experience. I feel what you feel. Friends, this is the beautiful truth of the gospel, is that Jesus, our high priest, can empathize with us. He has been made like us. He has drawn close to us, and he has told us, I know you. I feel the same things that you feel. I understand you deeply. This is really important if you are one of the members of the church that this original letter is written to. A church in Rome experiencing persecution with the thought, you know what? There's a possibility I may be killed. There's a possibility that I may be shunned from society. There's a possibility that I may live out the rest of my life lonely. And what they are hearing in that time is Jesus say, you know what? I understand what it feels like to be under the threat of death. I know what it's like to be persecuted. I know what it's like to be lonely because I've experienced it. I'm with you. I know you. When you are sitting with your wife trying to figure out how in the world you're going to explain to your children that you're moving again and how in the world they're going to be able to take it, that kind of anxiety, that kind of pain, Jesus knows because he's felt anxiety. When the friend that you've had for 25 years betrays you, Jesus knows that pain. He's felt it. He's been betrayed. Jesus knows you in a deep way that's not just putting a silver lining on things. It's not just saying, oh, you know what? You had a miscarriage. I'm sorry, but, you know, at least you know that you can get pregnant. Oh, your marriage is hard. I'm sorry, but, you know, at least you have great children. Oh, you hate your job. I'm sorry, but at least you have a job. Empathy never says at least. <laughs> it says, I'm here with you. I feel your pain. I'm with you. Can we be known? The Bible says yes, is that Jesus has been made like us, and he knows us. He's drawn himself close to us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Let's move on to the second question. Will I be accepted? We'll look again at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What in the world does that have to do with acceptance, maybe some of you are saying? Let me explain. Priest is a big word that we probably know in our culture, but maybe you don't really know what it's all about. 
Well, what the writer of Hebrews here is drawing on is actually the rich history of the Old Testament. He's talking about uh, the establishment of the priesthood in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus. Let me give you a quick background recap. Remember, God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness. He says he's going to uh, do two really big things for them. He's going to bring them into the land that he promised them, where he's going to give them rest forever. And amazingly, he is going to be with them. He's going to come and dwell with them. He says, I want you to build a tabernacle, a house, where I am going to come and move in and be with you. He is going to draw near. Talk about being known. Now, again, if you are a smart Israelite at all, immediately in your mind, you start thinking, okay, if I'm going to be known by the judge of all things, by the creator of everything, by the God who is holy, how in the world is this going to go? If I'm going to be known by that God, then he's going to know me in a way that's going to be really frightening. He's going to know me in a way that's going to leave me exposed. So you start asking the second really big question, is there any way that if God knows me, that he can also accept me? Well, the priesthood is really the answer to that question. The priesthood is the answer to will God accept us. The priest was called to be the go-between, the mediator between God and man. And it was the priest's job to take the sacrifices to God and lay them on the altar and to sacrifice there so that the sin of the people could be atoned for, so that the punishment for their sin would be laid upon the sacrifice rather than on them. And there was one really special priest, the high priest. Uh, At the beginning, this was Aaron, Moses' brother, and then afterwards, it was Aaron's descendants. And the high priest had a very special, important function. Once a year... He would actually go into this very special room in the tabernacle and then in the temple called the Holiest of Holies. It was actually where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where God said, and this is something I don't totally understand, God had said, my presence is actually going to be here in a way that it's not everywhere else. And when you walk into this room, I'm going to be present, my glory is going to be present in in a mysterious way. And it was the high priest's job to actually go in to meet with the Lord before his glory and to bring a sacrifice for the people. And when he did that, he was carrying and embodying this question for everybody. Will we be accepted? And it was a frightening experience. The high priest would wear bells on his garments so that the people who were standing outside could actually know if he was still alive and moving. They would tie a rope around him when he went in. In case he died, they could actually pull him out. Because to come face to face with the holy God is a dangerous proposition. But when the priest came out, what he was doing was he is embodying the answer to that deep question. When he stood before the people after having made sacrifice for them, when he stood there alive, what he was saying was, you are accepted. The Lord has accepted you because he has worked through me and through this sacrifice to put all of the wrath that you should be getting onto this animal. And as he stood there, there, he got to proclaim the same thing that I get to proclaim to you every week, peace. You've been accepted by the Lord. The work of another on your behalf has earned you his acceptance. What we read here is that Jesus, our high priest, has done the same for us. 
But doesn't that engine of will I be accepted, doesn't it just run all the time, y'all? It's amazing, isn't it, the power of that question that will, that will, it will make us surgically change our bodies so that others will think we're attractive. It will make us go to great lengths to have someone else take our kids' SAT so that they'll be accepted by the college we want them to get into. It will go to great lengths that we put on so many disguises and masks that we pretend so much because we want so badly to be accepted by others. There's this great scene in the movie Rocky. Yes, I'm using a Rocky reference here. Where it's really kind of the, uh, the emotional crux of the movie where Rocky, who's a boxer, but if you've been living under a rock for the last 50 years, Rocky is a boxer. He's about to go into a boxing match. His girlfriend, Adrian, is pleading with him, why do you have to go and do this? Because he's about to go fight the best boxer in the world. And she pleads, why do you fight? And why especially do you feel like you have to go into the ring with this guy who may kill you? And he says something really fascinating. He says, because if I can go and take 15 rounds with this guy, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. You hear that question of will I be accepted? Not just by others, but even by myself. Madonna has said something similar. A few years ago, in an interview, listen to this quote that she gave. My drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel that I'm mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. That is sad. Madonna is the highest grossing female artist of all time. She is one of the, if not the, highest grossing touring artists of, one, of all time. She is uh, in Rolling Stone's top 100 artists of all time. She's achieved everything you could possibly achieve. Yet do you hear that question still lingering? Will I be accepted? What will I have to do to be accepted? The beauty of the gospel is that your high priest has gone into the Holy of Holies. He has offered sacrifice and he has come out alive. And he proclaims to you now, you are accepted. The creator of the universe, the Lord and the judge of all things, has looked upon you and he has known you in a way that is frightening and he has accepted you because of what Jesus has done. Let's move to this third question. Can I get close? This is really the natural third question, isn't it? Will I be known? And if I can actually be known in the fullness of who I am and all of my warts, will I be accepted? And then if I'm accepted, what happens now? Can I actually be close to another person? And even more so, is it possible for me to draw close to the creator of all things? Is it possible for me, one of the subjects of the king, to come and actually be near the king? The Bible says it is. Listen again to these wonderful words in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not too long ago, Joy and I were watching TV and we were watching uh, Modern Family. 
and watching this episode of Modern Family where the family, and it's an extended family with, you know, brothers and sisters and cousins, and they were on a European vacation, and they had decided to go to the beach in Europe. But they had forgotten that beaches in Europe can sometimes be, you know, top optional. And uh, having with them two young teenage boys, this actually began to cause a bit of a ruckus for the family. And in one, one part of this scene, you find these two boys and uh, all hopped up on testosterone. And, and they're, they're going to prove themselves in front of all of these beautiful women. And one of them decides he's going to head out into the surf. And he's going to head out into the surf right close to this very beautiful woman who's out here. And he tells the other one, you know, you just stay back here and be cool, right? Because I'm going to go out. He's kind of puffed himself up like this. And he heads out into the surf. And right about as he gets about, you know, waist deep, this huge wave just comes and pummels him. And along with the embarrassment, you know, of just being pummeled by this wave, as he gets up, he realizes that the wave has taken his suit. And uh, unfortunately for him, right about that time, uh, this nice-looking woman appears kind of right beside him, and she says, are you okay? And he just kind of blurts out, for whatever reason, my suit is gone. I've lost my bathing suit. To which she replies, great, I'll help you find it, and puts on her goggles and goes down underwater. I am positive that that episode was written by every man in the world who has had that exact nightmare at one point or another. That is an illustration of being close in a way that's a little frightening, maybe close in a way that you wouldn't really want to happen. But what God's Word says is that we are actually able to draw close to God, even though in some ways it is frightening, because He has accepted us. Because our high priest has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, we can draw near to the Lord with not fear, but what did it say? Confidence. Isn't that amazing? I love going to the pool and watching young children interact with their parents, and my favorite thing is to watch what probably you've seen before too, is to watch a little kid who can't swim, who is jumping off the side into his or her parents' arms. And you've got this mom or dad who's there in the pool, and they've got their arms wide open, and they're saying, jump to me. And you've got this little kid who, in any other circumstance, doesn't even want to get his knees wet because he's so afraid of the water, and he launches off the side into his mom or dad's arms. And he does so confidently and beautifully because he knows how much he is known and accepted and loved by his mom or dad. That's really the way that we are called to draw close to God, to come before Him confidently, to draw near to the throne of grace, the Bible says, so that we might actually be helped in time of need. It's really the opposite, isn't it, of that image of the high priest going in with the bells and the rope. We get to actually come in confidently, not frightened, not unsure, not insecure, but knowing God's love for us. Let me close with just a little bit of application, something we can take home, just, just one thing, and it's this. When you consider these questions, can I actually be known by another? And even more so, can I be known by the creator of the universe? And if he knows me, will he actually accept me? If you start to put those together and the glue that sticks them together is the beauty of the gospel that says that you are accepted because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, 
then the implication is draw near. Draw near with confidence. We have been given a beautiful gift of prayer, friends. It's a beautiful gift that uh, if you're like me, you neglect more often than not. God has told us, come close to me, and He said, this is how you can do it. You can do it by drawing near to me in prayer, and you can do it confidently. That word we translate confidence could also, uh, it could also be um, translated as bold frankness. Bold frankness before the Lord in prayer. Have you ever had a really great family dinner where you're sitting around and everybody's guard is down? And everybody is talking about what went on in their day, and they're not talking about it in an insecure, guarded way. They're actually being honest with each other, and feelings are actually, you know, spilled, and love is shown, and there is a tightness there together. There is bold frankness. There is confidence in that conversation. That's how we're called to come to the Lord in prayer, to come to Him like it's a family dinner table, to lay ourselves bare before the one who loves us, to be bold and frank. We don't need to hide anything. He's not scared of your big questions. He's not scared of the things that he already knows about you anyway, so just go ahead and let him know. Be confident before the Lord. When things are difficult, draw near. Our tendency is that when things get hard, we want to move away, right? But this is the beauty of the gospel, is that when pain comes, we can say, you know what? The Lord knows me. He not only knows me and can empathize with me deeply, but he has accepted me fully on the merit of Christ's work on the cross. And he has called me then to come and to draw close to him. This is who our God is. We draw close to him in prayer even now with me. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this call. We're thankful for the beautiful truth that you know us more deeply than we even know ourselves. Lord, the beautiful truth that you know us more deeply than we want to be known, and the beautiful truth, Lord, that you accept us fully, that even though you know us, you have brought us in. Lord, will you draw us close to you today? Will you draw us close to you this week in prayer? Will you enable us to carve out both time and emotional space for bold frankness before you in prayer? Will you do that for us? And we ask, Lord, that in doing so, we might understand your grace and your goodness more fully, that we might come to draw ourselves close, boldly, before the throne of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.